Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Media Podcast Network. All right, it is Tuesday, January twenty fourth, twenty twenty three, and it is indeed a heck of a morning live on the MMA Fighting Twitter Spaces. You can hear the show in its entirety. Shortly thereafter on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network, I am Mike Heck. Hope everyone had a great weekend, having a great start to the week. We are coming off of the UFC's first pay-per-view event of 2023. It was UFC 283, which went down in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. We have two new champions in the UFC. A new light heavyweight champion in Jamal Hill. Incredible performance against Glover Teixeira. He gets it done. It was uh, an incredible performance. I think he answered a lot of questions. There's still, I think, a few more that need to be answered. But that was a that was an unbelievable performance from Jamal Hill. And then Brandon Moreno, just doing Brandon Moreno type things, defeats Davis and Figueredo, ends the rivalry. Will they fight again down the road? Perhaps, but it won't be for the same stakes or anything like that. And Brandon Moreno is the undisputed UFC flyweight champion after a doctor stoppage TKO victory over Davis and Figueredo. Great win for Gilbert Burns. I mean, it was a flawless victory. Jessica Andrade, holy cow, what a performance against Lauren Murphy. And then Johnny Walker gets it done. Whole bunch of stories in the prelims. The sad ending to the career of Shogun Hua. Uh... Glover Teixeira retired as well after the loss of Jamal Hill. And there's a, just a lot that happened. Some crazy finishes, incredible knockouts, the Bonfim brothers arriving like very close to each other with just incredible finishes of their own. Just, it was a fun card. Like it was a fun card. Is it going to be one that I think at the end of the year is going to be on people's lists for, event of 2023 probably not but it was it was good and 
like I've said a few times, and I tweeted this out on Sunday, it was just nice to feel normal in this space. I know there's still a lot of dark clouds hanging above the sport and hanging above the UFC. And those are going to be there for the foreseeable future, ladies and gentlemen. But it was just nice that the headlines were taken over by the fighters themselves. And it was about them. It was about the athletes and about the fights and, and the competitors and, and all that for the most part, which felt nice. It felt nice during a chaotic 2023. So we could talk about that. We're going to take your calls pretty much start to finish here because I don't have much of a monologue. Plus, my internet caused us to start a little bit late live. So I'm not going to hog the program. I'm going to let you guys decipher. But we found out some interesting stuff on the MMA hour yesterday. Luke Rockhold, no longer retired. I don't think that comes in as, as a giant surprise to most because we are MMA fans. We understand how this all works. But what is surprising somewhat is that Luke Rockhold is not only unretired, he is a free man. He is no longer under UFC contract. He is a free agent. He can sign with anybody. He can box. He can fight in MMA. He can do kickboxing. He can go to freaking fight circus if he wants to. And the UFC let him go. And we confirm from the UFC that is, in fact, true. So Luke Rockhold, free agent. That was uh, some interesting news that we heard on the MMA hour uh, yesterday. So we can talk about that. We can talk about UFC 283. Uh, and a big shout-out to anybody who checked out the watch party. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and a big thank you to Drake Riggs, Jose Youngs, and New York Rick for hopping on that. Uh, we'll be back there February 11th for UFC 284. And then probably going to do two of them in March for 285 and 286. So it doesn't appear like the watch party is going anywhere and appreciate everybody for checking it out and, and for the feedback. So let's go to all of y'all as the Southerners like to say, let's get into this thing. Rafid. How are you doing? Hello, sir. I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. So I want to talk about uh, the UFC 283 pay-per-view. This pay-per-view is fucking amazing. We saw it. Too, too many upsets. The Terrence McKinney one had me shocked. You know, Terrence McKinney is the boy. And I really thought that he was going to beat Bonfim. I only had one suspicion because the odds weren't changing on Terrence McKinney. So, like, just a few hours before the fight, I had a suspicion that something is going on. And all, all of a sudden, maybe that's true. Bonfim knocks him out. So I think the odds makers did expect Bonfim getting the upset. But yeah, the co-main event went as I thought it was going to be. I, I thought that Brandon Moreno is going to get the finish. He did. It was Dr. Stoppage. At the main event, I didn't think, to be honest, that's how it's going to go. Because I thought Jamal Hill takes the finish. I think that Glover Teixeira took too many damage, too much damage against Yiri. But all of a sudden, Jamal Hill goes the distance and beats him up for five rounds. I didn't expect that. But yeah, so what's your thoughts about that? Thank you. Thanks, man. Um, I was, I was definitely surprised with how the main event ended up. Uh, I thought Glover was going to win. I was pretty confident Glover was going to win. And 
because I just felt like 25 minutes is an awful long time. And Glover's really tough to finish. Like, I'm not, I wasn't shocked that Jamal Hill won because Jamal Hill is young and still getting better and he hits like a truck. So if Jamal Hill had knocked out Glover to share in the first round, I would not have been surprised. But him going pillar to post for five rounds, and, and I made this comparison, it reminded me of Cody Garbrandt's win over Dominic Cruz in a, in a lot of respects. It wasn't exactly the same, but that's what it kind of reminded me of. Just uh, many people thought if Cody was going to win, he was going to knock out Dominic Cruz with something quick and out of nowhere and flashy. And instead, Cody goes out and has an incredible five-round performance against Dominic Cruz. And while Cody winning wasn't all that surprising, it was the way he did it that stood out. And I feel the same way about this win for Jamal Hill. I do agree with something New York Rick said on the MA hour yesterday. That win is going to age. It's we're at a fork of the road with how that win's going to age. And what I mean by that and what Rick meant by that was because this, the road to getting to that title and how he got into a title opportunity is just kind of weird. And it is what it is. He's not going to say no to that opportunity, of course. But let's, we'll find out after his next fight how this win is going to age. So, to me, because I, I don't even know who he's going to fight. Like, I, to me, it's Yuri, but we don't know when Yuri's coming back. He's saying, like, July, August, maybe. He hopes that Jamal will wait for him, but he understands if he can. And if Jamal doesn't want to wait for him and just wants to get, rep, get more reps in, Who's he going to fight? Like, is he going to fight Ankalaev? Because I don't know if the UFC is going to make that fight. I don't know if they're if, if Ankalaev's in the in the really good graces of the UFC right now after the fight at 282, which I didn't think was that bad of a fight. It probably won't be on. Could it be Anthony Smith? I don't know. Like, I honestly have no idea where this division is going to go. They have good fighters. They have a lot of stories. But it's just the path is not clear for it right now. We need uh, – we need some things to work out and fall into place before this division kind of gets cooking. The Moreno fight kind of went the way I thought it was. I, I said it was going to be a fourth round TKO, so it was third round. But I mean, it was just, I just, it went the way I thought it was going to go. Moreno is just getting better. He has, I don't even think he's hit his athletic prime yet. Figueredo's up there in age and father time remains with an incredible record especially in the lower weight classes. It's just the way that it is. Figgy going up to 135 is going to be interesting. I think he's going to be undersized in a lot of respects, but he's still so skilled across the board that there are some really fun, interesting matches for him. The McKinney fight, I'm not surprised Bonfim won that one. I mean, the betting lines were, were exactly where they needed to be. Bonfim is really good. He hadn't lost a fight in like eight years, and the loss was to Hanato Moicano in 2014. The dude has not lost a fight since then, and he's really good. Like, he's really, really good. If you watch tape on him, he's just a very solid hand. And I thought it would – did I expect him to double knee Terrence McKinney unconscious? No, but I felt – as I would feel with most Terrence McKinney fights, that if Bonfim can just get out of the first round, he's probably going to win. And turned out he even won. He won the first round against Terrence McKinney. We didn't see that typical get or get got McKinney. We got more of a patient, relaxed McKinney. And 
it's almost like Bonfim is ready for it. Bonfim just kept waiting for McKinney to, to, to throw something, and Bonfim countered beautifully. I mean, it's just a great performance. I mean, it was picture perfect. And then the knockout was just icing on the cake. Wasn't really surprised that Terrence lost that fight. Because just not because Terrence is a bad fighter, it's because Bonfim's a really good fighter. And his win streak and everything he's accomplished is no accident. It's no accident. And then to see his brother go out and get a sub one minute finish a couple of fights later was just ridiculous. So, yeah, all in all, good card, very solid. It was fun to get back to watching pay per views and reacting to the storylines, but. It was, it, was, it was a solid card. It was solid. Let's go to Four Ounce Sniper. Hello. Hello, Mike. Can you hear me? Yep, I got you. What's up, okay, man? Okay, my phone would not unmute. Um, I wanted to talk today about the delusion that Lauren Murphy is potentially dealing with. I don't know if you've seen her tweets or if anybody else has seen all her tweets, but I'm not going to go into that. I kind of want to – I'd rather talk about uh, Jamal Hill. Um, I've noticed Jamal Hill was getting a lot of hate before this fight. Um, maybe I didn't see the tweets that he put out that got him or earned him all this hate, but I just, I don't know. I was curious what your thoughts on him are. Uh, I lost my train of thought. Sorry. But, uh, yeah, I was just curious about your thoughts and like, what did he do to get all this hate? Well, so basically, when everything happened with Dana and the slap, uh, Jamal, D- Dana White going out at that press conference and saying, do not defend me. I see fighters on Twitter defending me. Jamal Hill is one of those fighters. He, In fact, he was the fighter that defended Dana White and went with the notion of equality and, well, she hit him first and all that, and then when pressed on it, he kind of doubled down on it and then tripled down in some respects. So some people, there are people in the fan community who share Jamal Hill's thoughts on this, and I don't agree with him or those people, but he said them, and then he just kept kind of doubling down on it and wouldn't veer off and rub people the wrong way. Now, I will say this. I know John Anik is getting a little bit of heat as well because of kind of what he said on the broadcast. And then John sort of defended that stance and doubled down on it on Twitter. It's kind of a tough spot for John to be in really. Cause what's he going to say? What's John supposed to say? Well, great for Jamal Hill, but he defended Dana White slapping his wife. So I mean, he's got to be a broadcaster, right? That's just how it works. He's not a journalist. He's not hosting a show like this. He's on a broadcast. You got to do that. Um, but that's that's really it. Now, I have, I have interviewed and met Jamal Hill many times over the years. Uh, I met him at International Fight Week and interviewed him face-to-face in July. And he was very nice. He's very nice. Like, he is a very nice guy. Uh, he's very giving, uh, he's very selfless according to most people that I've talked to and I've kind of seen it with my own eyes, but yeah, he, he whiffed, he whiffed on this whole thing. He is better, is better to just not say anything 
especially on social media. But he did, and that's the fallout of it. So it is what it is. And I certainly don't agree with anything that he said, but it just made him it made it, it did not paint him in a good light. That is for sure. I we 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 got after it a little bit here. Uh, I know Jed's talked about it on BTL. It's been talked about on other shows as well. Yeah, you, it helped, It basically forced Dana to come out and be like, "All right, don't start a fight with fans and defend me on this whole thing because I was wrong and you shouldn't be defending me." And it was mostly a message for him. So there you go. We haven't heard him like kind of talk about it. Like I don't think he was asked about it at media day. He didn't show up to the post-fight press conference because him and Goldberg Shearer just beat the hell out of each other for 25 minutes, so not surprising. But I would expect if he somehow ends up on like the MMA hour tomorrow or sometime next week that Ariel's going to ask him about it. I would be stunned if he didn't. But that's where all that comes from. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Tristan, hello. Can you, can you hear me? Stop. Yeah, I uh, got you. Uh, speaking about the Lauren Murphy, uh, Lauren Murphy went on Twitter and went off. And shout out to Chad Mishu coming up the top rope, man, with the retweet. I was like, whoa. So I, I wonder if Lauren saw that. She was like, yeah, that, that was that was bad on my part. She's second uh, guessing herself on that. Um, you know, like, listen, it's the corners got to do their jobs. They got to go in the top. I agree wholeheartedly with Jed Mishu. It's not on the ref, man. I'm not blaming the ref on this. Lauren was defending herself. She was throwing back. But I think it's on the quarter to, like, throw that towel in, you know, and just be like, we got we to gotta protect her from herself. Um, listen, we saw this. I understand. We saw it was Calvin Cater with Max Holloway. But Tyson Chanier was about to throw in the towel. He was about to do it. But the fact that Cater was responsive, he was good, he was good, he was good. And Tyson did all the necessary things to make sure his fighter was safe and everything. But, listen, it's on the coaches, in my opinion, to, like, yo, man, you got to protect your fighter from themselves. I know, you know, at least now, do you feel like it's, just, it's always depending on the, the fighter? Is it is that the way to go? Or do you think coaches have to do it if they're getting beat to a pup? 231 strikes is a lot. It's a lot to take. Uh, we even, you know, they're tough. Lauren Hill's tough. I understand that. But I think it's on the corner to – uh, actually uh, defend their fighters. So what do you think about that whole situation? I know we talk about it so many times, but just want your thoughts on this particular situation. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Dan. So I, I, I've kind of thought about this, and honestly, 
the the thing that stood out the most about what you said is you called Lauren Murphy Lauren Hill, just like my best friend AK did on onto the next one, and it was hilarious. I don't know, man. Like I'm I'm not gonna sit here and and, and trash Lauren Murphy. Um, I'm not a fighter. Like I I'm not a fighter, and I I I don't know. Like some of these are are weird. Cause there's so many different examples of this and like to me, the Calvin Cater one, I never thought that fight should have been stopped. I know ne- like I did, like it was bad, but he was landing like Cater. Cater was landing shots. Cater landed more shots in that fight than any other fight he's ever been in. And what's crazy about Calvin Cater and the fallout of that fight was that what what those guys in particular do at the cartel, the New England cartel, is when the fight ends, they usually will go to the PI and they will get their brain, like the they'll assess any damage to like the brain and the face and concussive type things. And from what I understand, Cater, that like despite all the punches he took in that fight, his concussive state was in a better place after the Holloway fight than like any other fight in his career. Maybe not the Arnold Allen one. Cause that didn't last very long, but the post damage was less after the Holloway fight, which is strange to think about. And my thought in Casey agreed with me was, and, and I think Casey put it perfectly with the cater fight was at that point in Calvin Cater's career, getting a fight like that, he earns the right to take that beating. And that was the way I thought about it as well. There's other examples like Chris Moutinho, Chris Moutinho versus Sean O'Malley. I mean, Sean, Sean beat the hell. Like I would say that's a better example. That's probably a better example to examine than the Calvin Cater fight because Calvin was landing he wasn't landing at the same volume. Calvin was doing damage. Max Holloway went to the freaking hospital after that Calvin Cater fight, despite looking as good as he did. And the Moutinho one was a little bit different because Moutinho was just taking a beating. There are moments where he was landing. Um, it seemed like Sean was going to finish him, but he just toughed it out. And then the fight just kind of gets stopped with a, a minute left. And Chris was pissed about it. And, that I remember just kind of the divisiveness about that stoppage. Did Chris should the should the ref have let Chris continue and just go the entire distance? Or was the referee right in just stopping the fight when he did? Because of the I mean, it was just a one-sided win. Chris is a New England guy. It was cool to see him get his opportunity in the UFC. But let's be honest, there was zero chance he was going to win that fight. He had no chance. It was over. And Lauren, to her credit, kept throwing, but it just got worse. Like, the numbers are just scary. Like, they're really scary. And if you listen on to the next one, I read Aaron Bronsetter's stat that he put up there that the Zhang Wei-Li-Yuani on Jacek fight, the first one, those two landed... I think it was like 191 head strikes over those five rounds. And Lauren Murphy took like 165. So it was like 30 less 
Lauren Murphy took 30 less significant strikes to the head than Joanna and Wei Lee combined in that five-round fight. That is a stunning statistic. It is a stunning statistic. Do I think that fight should have been stopped? Yep, I do. And she can be mad at me if she wants, and that's just me. But it's not... Here's the thing, and, and I think it, it's tough for us to say this because we're not fighters. Uh, we're not in there putting it on the line and training and sacrificing everything to get there. But that fight should have been stopped. It was getting uncomfortable in the third round. Like, I had, to me, it were, were at, if Lauren wanted to come out and start the third, like, I, actually, I didn't have a huge problem with it. Like, if they wanted to let her go out and start the third, that's fine. And a lot of people are like, well, I blame the corner, not the ref. I actually do blame the ref a little bit. I do blame the ref a little bit. To me, when, it, when a fight is just that one-sided, if the corner is getting what they need from Lauren, much like the Cater example, and Lauren, if you watch it, was responsive. She's bloody. She's battered. She was responsive. She was firing back. I think the referee has to step in and just be like, look, I'm cool letting you go out there and continue, but I'm putting you on a short leash because this is, it's bad. I have to look out for you. So I'm going to put you on a short leash. You want to go out there. If you could get in there and get your shots in cool. But if this gets a little crazy, I'm going to stop it. And Laura went out there, and the, the beating was worse in the third round than any, other, than any other round. There are multiple times throughout the third round. You can go back to the watch party where I'm like, stop the fucking fight. <laughs> Just stop it. Laura would have been mad, but there were, it, it's just getting uncomfortable. So does her corner deserve blame? Yeah, I, I do think so. We also have to remember that one of her corners is her husband. So when people say that the argument of, well, these people know her better than everybody else is flawed, yeah, I think there's some truth to that. But her main corner is her husband, who truly does know her better than anybody else and knows what makes her tick and knows all of that. So we got to put that into consideration as well. I don't think the referee is blameless in this. I really don't. Like, I feel like the ref deserves a little bit of heat. And again, I don't, I had no issue with her going out in the third. But the referee should have been like, all right, dude, like, this gets out of line. I'm going to stop this thing. And, they, and the ref just let her take way more strikes in the third round than any of the others. So I think there's some blame. There's blame all around, no doubt about it. But to say that the referee deserves none of the blame, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with it. In fact, I think it's kind of the referee's job to be like, all right, you want to start the third cool, but if she starts landing on you and you have no real true respective response, then I'm stopping it. And he didn't. And it is what it is. I also think Lauren's a little frustrated too. Um, again, she sacrificed everything. Went in there, felt like she could win. And she got, she got annihilated. I mean, it was, it was just bad. She got 30, 25, 30, 24. 
I think part of it's just frustration too. The frustration from losing a fight and all you hear about is people just not dogging you per se, but dogging her husband. Because you got to remember, like she's defending her, her husband in this as, as well. And if I got into a fight and my wife was, and I lost and people are saying that my wife is a terrible coach and she should not have allowed me to go out and continue to fight, I would defend her. Even if I looked horrible, that's just who I am. So that's, that's my different kind of take on it. I do, don't, I do think the fight should have been stopped. I do think a towel should have been thrown in. But I do not think the ref is blameless in this. I don't. And we have to remember where Lauren's coming from. This isn't just, hey, I got three people in my corner. She also has her husband, too. So when you're, when you're shitting on the corner, you're shitting on her husband. So I am not surprised that she is defending her husband and with that, the rest of her corners. It's a different type of relationship. But, you know, and we saw it in the Glover fight too. Like, saw Glover's corners, saw John Hackleman up there saying, eh, we should probably stop this one. And they didn't stop it. That one was a little kind of more egregious to me. I mean, in hindsight, Glover took Jamal Hill down and mounted him. And that was nuts. It's freaking insane. And I was like, I can't believe that this is going to happen. Fifth round again? Really? We didn't get the moment because Jamal Hill was able to battle back. But, I mean, you had a legit coach saying, should we stop this fight? And they were not all on the same page. So that was, it was just weird. The whole thing is weird, but that's why I take on the Lauren Murphy thing. I think everybody's kind of to blame here. And, but I also understand why Lauren is fighting back and, and why Lauren is protective of the corner because it's not just her corner. It's her family. It's her husband. It's just a whole different thing. That's just me. Maybe you think I'm wrong, but that's how I view it. Uh, QP Prime, hello. Yeah, it was good, bro. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm in here on uh, my birthday early this morning. You know, I got to tune into my favorite show. Happy um, birthday, man. I just want to I just want to say, like, I just want to ask your opinion, even though I watch you guys on the, the post-fight show and the, the pre-fight Q&A. I, 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 I'm pretty sure you were like me, even though I like Jamal Hill and I wanted him to win. I was... Like, even though he was winning a 50, 40, or, okay, a, a 49, 46, I still, uh, excuse me, I still was, like, really, like, every time he got him down and he got him to that, like, that mounting position, my heart rate was, like, like jumping out my chest just thinking, like, damn, like, so I'm saying this to say, is that, are we, are we, is it was, was it more Glover's age and, and, and um, Jamal Hill coming in younger and coming in actually prepared for the challenge and just, haven't worked on the stuff that he was lacking? Or do you think that Jamal Hill is just that good and he was always just that good, he just needed the opportunity? It's an interesting question. Uh, to me, it's probably more of the la- – it's, honestly, it's probably more of, the, more of the latter and less of the former, but I do think some of the former applies here. I think what Glover had to go through in that Yuri fight took its toll – 
100%. The fact that Glover survived five rounds with Yuri beating his ass and then five more rounds of Jamal Hill beating his ass, like, this guy's not a human being. 100%. Having said that, I think we all understood that Jamal Hill was going to get to this point, and by the time he was ready, and by the time, like, he... Merit in a meritocratic world had earned his title shot. He was going to be ready and he was going to have a pretty good chance to win. We just didn't think it was that time yet. And I even looked like when I viewed the fight, I felt like Jamal Hill was playing with house money where he took the fight on short notice. He did the UFC a favor. He's going to Brazil to fight Brazil's hero in a in a stylistic matchup that I thought was really tough for him. But I also felt like because of all those things, that even if Jamal lost, his road back to a title is not going to be a very long one. I, I didn't think so. Like, I, I, I thought a loss would sting, but it wouldn't hurt. And Jamal could just go in there and beat Jamal. And if he loses, so what? not the end of the world. And what we saw was Jamal just going out there and just put it on him. I mean, it was, it was, it was impressive. That's why I keep comparing it to the Garbrandt win. Cause we just did not expect that to happen. A lot of the questions we had about him, he answered them. I have more, no doubt about it, but it was his night. It was his night. And there were not a lot of guys at two Oh five on that night who are going to beat Jamal Hill. Dude's real good. He says some stupid things on Twitter. I'm, I'm not going to deny that. But boy, as a, as a competitor, on that night, Jamal Hill proved he belongs and he proved that he's the real deal. Now, what is, would I favor him to beat Yuri Prohashka in a fight? No. Would I favor him to beat Magomed Ankoliath in a fight? No. Would I favor him to be Anthony Smith? Yes. Would I favor him to be Jan Bohovic? Yes. Probably. Jan's a little different. But I would probably still pick Jamal Hill. But he's, he's still going to get better. Like, this, this is a great performance, but we're going to see better versions of Jamal Hill. He's still a work in progress. But if that's what we're getting... On the way up, holy shit. This guy's going to be real good. I don't think anybody questioned him. I mean, people had questions about him as a fighter. Um, but man, he, he delivered. What, what else can you say? Love him or hate him. Got to respect what he did on Saturday because that was incredible. Incredible performance. And we'll see, how, we'll see after his next fight how well that win ages. Bring in Viking MMA. Perhaps. The wheels. Oh, there you go. I think we got him. Hello, Viking. I got kicked out of the, the list. So thanks a lot for the opportunity. And I just want to talk about the stoppage we all uh, you know we all were talking about 
when Adesanya and Alex Pereira happened, uh, the former champ was not happy with the stoppage until he met Eugene Bermans. Uh, it was the same Mark Goddard was referring in that fight, you know, the Glover and Jamali. Uh, you know, and we, uh, we were expecting an early stoppage in the Glover fight, but um, God let Jamal Hill beat Glover badly, and that uh, that damage was at the same times more than what Alex Pereira was doing to Adesanya. And I don't care if fighter is fighting front of home crowd or not, but that fight should have been stopped for sure. Mm, and please don't tell me that Glover was saying, "Let's fucking go at the beginning of the fifth round." If I'm not wrong, because, you know, he had time to recover at his corner. Uh, that was a lot of beating to the 43 years old man. If 30 year, if 38 years old Glover would have fought this in 2023, he would have, then Jamal would have taken the same punish, punishment from Glover, in my opinion. So my main question was about the referring of my Goddard, and I just, I just wonder when he just visited India, to you know, to to teach some coaches, MMA coaches over here. I mean, I don't know what exactly he did teach them. Teach them. Thanks a lot, Mike. Listen, yeah, I I, I saw this a lot. Um, you know, how dare Mark Goddard stop the Izzy fight, but not this one. I don't know. Like, this is why I'm not a ref because Mark's a great one. And because he's a great one, he gets put in these, these big spots. That's why he's refing main events and title fights more often than not. Cause he's one of the best in the world. I think it's Jason Herzog and, and Mark Goddard are like one a and one B in my opinion. Having said that Mark usually addresses like, if there's an issue, Mark will address them to the best of his ability. So, if people have an issue with it and they're tagging him on Twitter, he's not going to give, like, like a full-on explanation, but he will at least respond and say, here's what I saw, this is why I did this. But also, you have to, you have to think, you got the MMA community watching every move you make as a referee in these types of fights. So after the reaction that he got after UFC 281, you have to think, and I don't care how much of a veteran you are, it's somewhere in the back of your mind that, well, I got absolutely hosed for this stoppage in November. Do I want to stop this too early? Like, am I going to get the same kind of heat? Like, there's got to, I'm not saying that's what happened here. But there's probably a little piece in the back of the brain of Mark Goddard that's like, eh, I don't, I don't need to deal with this right now. And, and Glover was fighting back. He was hitting him. He took, like I said, he came out in the fifth, took him down, mounted him. We thought it was over. We thought it was over. We were saying, like in our private Slack, that Glover's one takedown away from from winning this fight, and he got it. And to Jamal Hill's credit, he survived and in my and he won that fifth round so yeah it was getting dicey there were certain moments where glover was rocked and he's up against the fence and it looked like mark was going to come in and stop it and then 
Glover would land a big right hand and send Jamal going backwards a little bit. So, yeah. It's weird. I I didn't think the Izzy stoppage was that bad. I really didn't. Some people think it's it was like a deplorable stoppage. I actually didn't think it was that bad. I think he was... I think he was... I think he was pretty much done. I mean, he was getting lit up. The body language is horrific. And I know Glover had moments of it as well, but I didn't think that stoppage was was that awful. I really didn't. All right, let's go to Tom. Tom, what's up, man? Uh, particularly on the referee side of things, the one things we will never see is the fighters day in, day out, every day in the week uh, uh, to the fight and in previous fights. We won't see the dilation of the pupils. We won't hear the breathing patterns. We won't see the general kind of tension in certain key areas of muscles, ligaments that indicate, uh, you know, trauma. Um, so, you know, it's an impossible art but it is an art form, nonetheless, refereeing uh, the, the, these bouts. And um, I don't think too much criticism can be thrown Mark's way. The question I had for you, Mr. Heck, was this. The face-off that I saw in the, uh, in the um, you know, advertisements for uh, 284. But going in there, Makachev and the Volk, they're going in there at a similar weight. There's a Bigger than I thought height disparity. Therefore, the Volk is packing the weight somewhere, and I think a lot of that is in his thighs and derriere. Could that potentially negate one of Makachev's biggest strengths in terms of takedowns? And is this fight closer than we think on paper? It's a great question. Uh, if you've looked at Volk on social media... I mean, his legs are, I mean, he, he's, he's in damn good shape. He's been putting on some muscle. No doubt about it. His legs are fucking huge. Um, yeah, I could. I mean, I, Makachev is just, I feel like Makachev can take down anybody. Like if Makachev fought, you know, if, if Makachev went up to 170 and fought Usman, or Colby, like, I think Makachev could take both of them down in a fight. Even though they're, like, highly decorated wrestlers, good defenders, uh, both have great defensive wrestling. Like, Usman hadn't... Usman's only been taken down once in his career, if, and it was by Leon Edwards. Um, but I think if he fought Makachev, like, Makachev would get him down at some point. That's just who he is. Um, I, I think the low center, the lower center of gravity and having that extra muscle is going to certainly help Volk. But at some point in this fight, he's going to get taken down. Uh, he's probably going to get taken down in every round. But it's just, can he get back up? That's the questions I have. Like, it's not... The question is, will he or will he not take Volk down? Because he's going to take him down. I don't care who you are. And I said that about any time Habib fought anybody. Like, I don't care how good your wrestling is. That dude's going to get you down. Justin Ga He took Justin Gaethje down. And Justin's a really good defensive wrestler. Does not matter. He will take him down. But how do you deal with it when you have that gorilla on top of you? 
who is so good with position. He's so good with improving his offensive guard and his, his spots. And, and it's just so intelligent. He's so patient in those aspects. But Volk is just, he's a freak. I, I think it's a close fight anyways. Like, take that out of the equation. And Vol- Volk's going to get taken down, and I think he knows that. But he's also prepared to not – he's prepared to not freak out, not make mistakes. He's going to be smart with it. He's going to play chess instead of checkers. And I think there's going to be a lot of occasions where Volk's going to be able to get back up. How will Makachev deal with that? I don't know. It's a fascinating fight. I think Volk's going to, I think Islam's going to win. But I think Volk is very live in this fight. I think, I I do, to answer your second question, yes, I think this fight is a lot closer than people think it's going to be. But I do think Makachev's going to win. Let's go to Patrick. What's up, Patrick? Are you there, Patrick? You are not. Okay, try again. Uh, let's go to where are we? Uh, let's go to crypto, and then we'll go to uh, real facty facts. Crypto, what's up? Good. Yeah, Mike. So I just want your take on this. Um... Is this the last time we will see a UFC event in Brazil for a long time? I mean, given how the crowd behaved, Mike, I don't know. It was horrendous. There was a bunch of things that that you could uh, basically bring up in this discussion. But the two main things, I mean, the way they treated Moreno. I mean, he's the nicest guy ever. Like, even if you're a Figueredo fan, why would you throw drinks and bottles uh, at him? on his way uh, out and also not giving him the opportunity to speak after winning the fight. I mean, that, that you just, you have to be an, an evil person. Mike. I mean, this is a guy that plays with Legos for God's sake during his spare time. He, he's the nicest guy ever. I mean, that's, it's just a new, new level of evil as a fight fan. If, if you decide to, to throw drinks and bottles at him. And after that, Mike, I was like, all right, this cannot get worse. Like, okay, this is the pinnacle of, of, of a bad crowd. It can only get better. But seeing the seeing Glover after his fight, seeing his interview inside the octagon where the place is empty, there's not a single person, there's no one there. And seeing Glover asking the audience not to throw drinks at, at uh, Jamal Hill, was just so sad because there was no one there. There was not a person that could throw a drink. It was absolutely empty. You could see two people in the background. I think, I don't know, one of them was probably a staff member that was uh, starting to clean the place up. I mean, it was just so sad to see. You have this national treasure, which Glover is speaking, and, and the place is just empty. It's just weary. It just looks so strange. And you could actually, I mean, you could hear the crowd in the background, but that was some type of, I don't know, fake, fake uh, cheer layover sound bit that the UFC did because it was absolutely empty. There was no one there. Is this the worst crowd ever? And 
Listen, I'm not saying that the Brazilian crowd uh, or Brazilian fans are bad. But what I am saying, Mike, is that the people that can afford to go to these events are not the people we want to see. It was absolutely terrible. I think it's time to take a break from UFC Brazil for at least three years or something, because this is unacceptable. It was so sad. It, it broke my heart, Mike. What's your take on that? Should we avoid Brazil for a couple of years or not? Thanks, man. I mean, we just, they just did for like almost four years. Uh, they hadn't had a crowd. So maybe that's a part of it too. Uh, but to answer your question, are they going to go back to Brazil? I'll, I'll, I'll pose another question. Do you remember what happened the last time the UFC had a card in Mexico? Do you remember that? What happened there? I'll tell you what happened. Brendan Fitzgerald's under his freaking broadcast desk, covering up his head because there's shit being thrown all in the octagon because of an eye poke. Where does the UFC want to go back as fast as possible? Mexico. They'll be back. They'll be back. I mean, we, I also, we also have to look at things through, like, different lenses, too. Like, this is... Fight fans going to watch Glover Teixeira fight in a main event for a championship is like me going to a Patriots playoff game. And what I mean by that is if I go to a Patriots playoff game and they're just getting the doors blown off them, like if it's the fourth quarter and they're down like 37 to nothing, like what am I going to stay for? Like why, why would I stay? Even if I think there's a chance like Tom Brady's going to get on the mic, he's not there anymore. But you know, this is what I'm trying to say. Even though I think, you know, is Tom Brady going to get on the microphone and say he's going to retire from the sport? I don't like. Honestly, I wouldn't even have cared because I'm just like, this is stupid. Thirty-seven to nothing. Like I'm out of here. Can't get out of here fast enough. It's it's a similar thing here, and it's just different places, different times, different followings. Uh, the crowd was not great. Um, I also don't think – I don't remember even hearing what the, the numbers were or the UFC calling this a sellout because from all indications, this is not a sellout. So I hope they don't continue to play this. Well, we've got like 97 consecutive sellouts because this one doesn't, doesn't seem like a sellout. But it is what it is. They weren't great. It's a tough night for them. Figgy loses. I mean, he he got kind of sparked. Glover got it was just a one sided beating. Uh, a lot of the Brazilian fighters, I mean, had moments, but were counted. They're both pretty decisive losses, so yeah, no excuse. But that's probably why after the Glover fight that it was empty is because they were probably gone after like the third round because. Most people felt like it was uh, it was a wrap at that point. So, yeah, I don't know. But yes, they will be back. I bet they'll be back next year. Let's go to Anish. Anish, you there? Okay, nothing there. Uh, let's see if we can get Patrick back in here. 
Patrick, do we have you? No, we don't. Okay, let's continue. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Real facty facts. Do we have you? Um, What's up? Not man? too much. My question is, uh, uh, Davidson Figueredo, who do you see being a good fight in the top 10 for him? I'm struggling to see him do well in the Bantamweight division. And then what does that mean for Henry Cejudo? Because Davidson said that he didn't want to uh, he didn't want to fight Cejudo. So does that mean Cejudo's not coming back? Or what do you think? That's all. Thanks. Well, I mean, I'm sure like I'm sure Figgy thought he was gonna win anyway, so maybe he didn't think it was beside basically you said like I'm going up to 135 no matter what happens here but if Henry is the champion then I'm not going up to 135 I'll just kind of stick around here um but I don't think Davison needs to really worry about that cuz I don't think his move to 35 is going to go particularly well for him um he's certainly going to have trouble with the top 7 or 8 guys so my suggestion was I mean I I love the Cody Garbrandt idea I know Cody's Got a fight coming up, and he's booked. Um, so that's not a bad one. He's up – like, Davis is not 28. He's 36, essentially. He's got miles on him. I don't think a title run is in him at 35. But my pick for his first fight, because I, I don't think he should have to fight – Cody would be there because they were booked before, and I just think it would be a fun fight. But if – Davison wants to go in there and fight a top 10 guy. Uh, I think he should. And I think he deserves that opportunity. So my pick was the loser of the Corey Sanhagen Cheeto Vera fight. Whoever loses that fight, go fight Figgy. That's my pick, but it's really no real wrong answer to this question other than giving him a title fight or, giving him O'Malley or anything like that. Uh, let's go to Mafu. Mafu, are you there? How you doing? Good, good, good. So I, I was listening to you talk about um, who could fight on the light heavyweight and st- stepped up. 
I think there's a guy who's quietly going about his business, but I think is actually quite good enough for it. Um, Khalil Roundtree. What a beast. Because I became a big fan of his after the Eric Anders fight. So I'm wondering what at what point do you think he gets a title fight, if ever? Mm, Thanks. That's a great... Yeah, you're welcome. Um... He's, I mean, he's a ways away. Let's let's be honest. Let me let me just pull up his. Let me just pull up his resume real quick. Let's see where he's at here. So he's got three wins in a row, which is pretty good. Modestus Bukaskis no longer in the UFC. Carl Roberson no longer in the UFC. Dustin Jacoby's a good win, but a lot of people felt like Jacoby won that fight. And then prior to that, he lost to uh, Marcin Pratchio. He got finished by Iwan Kuchalaba. Johnny Walker finished him in under two minutes. He's on a nice run right now, but he's got a long way to go. And he's a, he's a positive presence in the space, no doubt about that. But... I'm going to pull up my rank. I think I have him at like 16 or 17. I mean, he should get a step up. Who that is, I don't know. Maybe throw him in there with like Volkan Ozdebir or something. I'd be okay with that. And just test him a little bit more. But I think his, his road to getting to the belt is going to be a pretty long one. I like Khalil, though. When Khalil is on, he's a scary cat. But there are often times where, like, he's coming off the Eric Anders fight, and you're like, oh, my God, this dude's a world beater. Like, Khalil Roundtree. And then he goes and gets finished by Yuan Kuchalaba the next fight, and then loses to Marcin Prachnio the fight after that. So, nice to see him getting consistent. But, yeah, he's got he's got work to do. Absolutely. Hello. Hello. What's up, man? How you doing? Good. How are uh, you? I'm good. So, uh, I've got two things to ask you. The first question is, is there any update news on – Robert Whittaker and um, Benil Dariush are scheduled to fight anytime soon. And my second question is, how would a potential fight between Aljamain Sterling and Alexander Volkanovsky play off? Thanks, man. Have a good day. Hmm. Second one's tough. I mean, I'm picking Volkanovsky against pretty much everybody right now at 145, even though I, I think Aljo doesn't get enough credit. I, I just feel like Volk is just that much better than most of those guys. I'm not picking Volk to beat Makachev. I think that's one of the fights that he's going to struggle with stylistically. But if Volk wins that fight, I think he beats a lot of those guys at 55. Benil, I'm not sure. Uh, we haven't really heard much. Charles Oliveira saying that he he's booked for a fight. Um, one would assume that that's the direction they would want to go. Like, I, I can't see Darius being like, no, I'm not fighting Charles Oliveira. Like that's the fight that gets him over the top. So wouldn't be shocked, shocked if that one was made. Whitaker's interesting, kind of up in the air. I don't know what they're going to do with them with, with this cost of fight falling through. And if you saw the main card lineup, that 284 card, as cool as that main event is, that one's, uh, not great. It's not a great main card. I love me Paca. I love me some Pacapoda. You know that. 
You know that. I'm a Paca Porter fan. But he's on the main card of a pay-per-view. I love the guy. But I don't know. That was kind of, that kind of tells you about this card and where we're at. But Whitaker's probably just going to play the patience game right now. Because we don't know when Adesanya's coming back. We have no main event for April yet. We have no main event for May yet. And what if Adesanya's not ready to go until like July or August? And Pereira's like, I want to fight. Who's the first person they're going to call? Robert Whitaker. So I have heard nothing on either guy. I, I have no insight to this at all. But my assumption, without any knowledge, so don't be going report, don't be reporting. Mike Heck said this. Uh, this is my, this is my guess. We'll get Oliveira versus Darius at some point. That's my guess. Not true. Not 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 reporting anything. That's my guess. Um, and then Whitaker, I don't know. Either they get Costa re-signed and locked up with a deal that Costa likes, and then they do the Whitaker fight, or. Maybe Whitaker fights Pereira for the belt. I don't know. We shall see. Uh, King Mo official. Hello. Are you there? Yeah, I'm there. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Yeah, I'm quite good, thank you. So my question was like, I was asking like, there is no another news about like new contract and that because like being seen it like, because different countries, you know, got like, the opportunity to be fighting for like going through for world champion or some stuff like that or got a contract with big clubs if that makes sense to you with big what do you mean like you got like different country like saying like my country or something like that people like in middle east and these places you got like proper nice fighter and like strong fighter and that but as you got no opportunity or chances to go like a proper like contracts with big club and that, or even like try to sign for a big club, saying like, if he won champion, these places and that, they try like to get a contract or something like that, but as you couldn't. Yeah. It's only like for Europe and that, but you can find like people in different country, saying like Middle East and that, like, because like I've been fighting like in the Middle East, you know what I mean? Like you, you see like tough guys and that, but only if you got like, you live in a different country like say in Europe you can have like a nice contract or you can fight you know what I mean yeah so this is what my, yeah. my question is like there is no another like new contract for different places like like you need to make like mixed martial art like or people like big clubs and that you, you have to make mixed martial art all over the world in it because they're saying when people fighting he's been gonna be like a world champion in it you know what I'm saying mm-hmm yeah, I hear what you're saying. So, there's not any news about like putting like new chances for different city, different people. I mean, it's tough, man. And I appreciate you you chiming in. The sport, what, what people sometimes forget is that as big as this sport has gotten. And seeing where we have come from 30 years ago to where the sport is at today, most notably the UFC, it's still a baby. Like this sport is a like an infant child compared to the rest of them. 
everyone's still kind of learning. The sport is evolving, not just individually with, with the, with the fighters, but from a global perspective as well. Like we're talking about if we're 1993, the talks about the UFC being regulated and being approved across the world, essentially, and possibly having fights in Africa and all of these different countries around the world. Like, no one thought this is possible. And now here we are. So I guess to answer your question, I think we're getting there. Like France is now approved and like some of these other spots that weren't getting any sort of notoriety when it comes to the sport, they're all getting their day in court, so to speak. And they all are getting their opportunity. So I would not rule out anything in terms of expansion and where things could go, where fighters, you know, where scouts, if you will, matchmakers will scout out different kinds of talent, especially with all these shows they have right now. They have the contender series. They got the ultimate fighter, no matter how I feel about that stupid show, but there are opportunities. And in some parts of the world, it's, it's a little tougher. I mean, it's hundred percent true, but a lot of these places that are getting notoriety in the sport now, just, just look at where, look at where like Australia was eight years ago. And now look at where they're at. It comes in waves. And the, the sport, like I said, is still kind of a baby. So we're getting there. We're getting there. Four Corner Sports, hello. Hey, Mike, are you hearing? Yeah, I got you. Cool, cool. So I want to talk about a couple of things. One, um, the Bonking Brothers. Those guys were legit. I thought that uh, Terrence was going to go, you know, how he did against Drew Dover, just, you know, go cycle on uh, was it Ishmael Bonfim. But it was a little weird to see him be, like, a little bit hesitant and, you know, stagnant for, like, the first, you know, couple seconds. I guess he was trying to get a good read on Ishmael Bonfim. But the Bonfim brothers, wow, I was pretty amazed on the, on uh, how they did. More, I was more amazed on Ishmael Bonfim as opposed to Gabriel. Um uh, just because I felt like uh, Terrence is more of a higher caliber of a fighter as opposed to, uh, um, I can't pronounce his name, uh, Menez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about, um, what's it called, the the perf card. So, and I chimed in when you were talking about Volkanovski versus uh, Ishla Mahachev. I Now, I do agree. I feel like Volkanovski would just starch anybody at 145. Maybe what's it called? The person might give him the, the, the most trouble will be Ilya Teporia. But um, I feel like if after this fight between him and Mahashev, I think that he's going to stay at 155. And if it's okay, I want to give like a an early what's it called? The uh, Otno pick. Um, like who I feel like is going to be the, the winners or losers. Now, I don't know who's going to win or lose, but I will say this if Volkanovski does lose, Mike, what do you think about this matchup? Uh, Volkanovski versus Dustin Poirier at 155. And for Mahashev, I feel like if he loses, you gotta you gotta make it Benio versus Mahashev. I feel like we we were supposed to see that at one point. Um, I don't know if we're gonna see that at any point soon. You know, especially with the rumors of him versus Charles, or well, Benio Darius versus Charles. But uh, I don't know. I feel that you know Volkanovski is great. You know, there's a reason that he's won 22 fights in a row. 
And but I just think that um, Mahashev is gonna, you know, exploit you know the, the differences of uh, weight, and you know he just might be too good for him. You know, I mean, what's it called? You saw he was able to stop uh, Oliveira with the striking and then utilize the wrestling. So I don't know. What, what do you guys think? Thanks, Mike. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's good. it's a, it's an interesting fight. Uh, it's hard for me to like predict it right now. Um, because my gut's not really telling me anything other than Makachev will find a way to win. But I'm I'm very I'm intrigued by it. And I mean Poirier could be in play for either guy, I think. But if if Volk if Volk loses to Makachev, he's gonna he's gonna just stay at 45. But if he wins, I don't think there's any valid reason why he would go back down to 45. Like why, unless he's just the most competitive guy on the planet and just really wants to compete and money is nothing to him, then you can go back down. But like, I just, if he wins the lightweight title, if he beats Islam Makachev and wins the belt, all the biggest fights possible for him are at 55. Poirier, Gaethje, Connor, Chandler, Oliveira, like all all of those names are far more fascinating to me than Josh Emmett, Yair Rodriguez. No disrespect to them. Ilya at some point's interesting. He's not there yet. Um, I hope they book him against Arnold Allen, although the rumors that he's gonna fight Max Holloway in London, uh, which by the way is there's smoke to that fire. And from what I understand, the UFC is hoping to book that one later, maybe in the next couple months, uh, but not done yet. But that, those reports of Alan Holloway were legit before we got Gaethje Fazeev. They were, they were legit. And I hate that fight. I hate everything about it. Like, I, I, that's not true. I don't hate everything about it. I love the fight by itself. But I hate the fight now for Arnold Allen because if he loses, now what? Max Holloway just kills off all these contenders. But for like, and for what? Like, I guess like Max could, they could do that and Max can just hope that Volk wins the lightweight title and then just leaves the division. But I just, I don't like Max in that spot at all. Arnold Allen, Ilya Tapori is far more interesting and it helps out the division a lot more than Arnold Allen versus Max Holloway because like Allen could win, sure, but I would probably pick Max Holloway to win that fight and then you're just killing off Arnold Allen as a contender right now and I'm not ready to see that. If he wins, great, but it's a risky fight. It's a risky fight for a division that needs contenders badly. And as much as I give credit to the matchmakers for how they matchmake these divisions, featherweight's been tough. I don't blame Volkanovski one bit for his attitude among, in building contenders and finding the guy to separate himself for him to fight. That's why he's going up to 55. That's why I have no issue with him doing it now because we have nobody else. Emmett and Yair are going to fight, but Volk beats, Volk's probably going to beat both of those guys. So 
I don't know. Alan Holloway by like in a vacuum, just as a fight is phenomenal. It's incredible. But in terms of building up this division, a Max Holloway beats Arnold Allen, then Jesus, now what? We can throw Taporia in there with Max next. Like whoever beats Max gets a title shot. I don't like that strategy. Let's go to Brad. Hey, Brad. Hey, Mike. What's going on? So I got two, I think, interesting questions, but they're completely unrelated, so just bear with me. <laughs> um, sure. So obviously Kavanaugh was on with Ariel uh, this week. Uh, yeah, yeah, Monday. And, um, you know, there's talks of Connor potentially coming back this year. What weight class do you see? Seeing how he's a tank now, what weight class do you see him fighting at? Do you think that he's fighting for titles or is it just going to be like money fights? And then secondarily, power slap. (laughs) What are your overall thoughts on it? Why do you think the UFC is doing it? Thanks, Mike. Um... Connor, weight class, probably, I don't know. He'll probably, oops, uh, his first fight would probably be at 170 because who cares, right? He's not, like, he's not coming back to a title fight. It's just not happening, especially at 155. There's too many contenders. Uh, I know Connor sort of eclipses all MMA math altogether, but in certain cases, you got to draw the line somewhere. And Connor doesn't need to be fighting for belts anyways. Connor comes back and fights. He's the main event against whoever it is. So I love the, I like the Chandler idea. I'm cool if he fights Mazadal, because that's just a fight with two dudes who are just going to get after it. Uh, there's no real stakes. And from all indications, Connor has two fights left on his deal and just go do fun fights, make some money. And then, Get your ass out of there and go fight Nate Diaz for the third time and make all the money. And I think the UFC is probably aware that that's a possibility, so who knows if they try to lock him down. Power slap, you're asking the wrong guy. I will not watch anything on that. I don't support it in any way. We're not covering it in any way. Uh, The only thing we're covering with power slap since this whole thing happened with Dana was – the horrendously laughable ratings they got on the first episode. I mean, that's just bad. Like, that's just bad, bad. Especially when AEW handed you a million people. Like, they handed you a million people. And you couldn't keep a third of them. Awful. Yeah, it's a disaster. It's horrible. Zero interest. And it's not just because it's Dana. I mean, the timing of this is just is even worse than the actual product. But even if Scott, if this is Scott Coker's power slap league, I ain't watching it either. It's just stupid. It's just stupid. Now the fighters, I don't blame them or the slappers, if you will. I mean, this is how they make money. Although we saw Eric Spicely put out yesterday that uh, he was offered two and two to fight in that. Poor shit. So, I, I mean, th- I, I have many things I could say about this, how this is being handled. And I don't know this for a fact, but it seems to me like this, this has to be, this has to be a cash buy. 
Like it has to be a cash buy by the UFC. I don't think this is something where TBS is like, oh, you know, this is a brilliant idea. Here's a hundred million dollars hosted on our network. No, I don't think that's the case at all. I think they worked out something where they had an open slot and the UFC is probably paying TBS to broadcast this because that's the only thing that makes any sense to me, especially after what happened on AEW last week where AEW wanted to do a tribute to Jay Briscoe, the wrestler who tragically passed away in a car crash who meant everything to a lot of these people in the company and they refused to allow AEW to attribute to Jay Briscoe because of something Jay tweeted many, many, many years ago that he has made amends for and he has shown contrition for. They didn't allow that to happen, but then we start the power slap thing two weeks after Dana's on video slapping his wife and it's Dana promoting how awesome it is to slap the shit out of somebody. That was like it for me. Like any, I had very, I had maybe zero, I had like 0.00001% intrigue in the product. And then after that whole thing happened, I mean, I'm negative now. I hope this thing, I hope this thing is killed off week three. I just don't see a market for it. I, I just don't. I mean, it, getting those ratings after all the promotion that went into that and coming up with that number, whew, I mean, that's it's just horrendous. Patrick, do we have you? Take a couple more because I got to yes, get out of here. Yes, I'm What's here. up, man? So... Is it crazy to think that we are still sleeping on Jamal Hill here? I mean, he just beat the brakes off of Glover for five rounds, worse than John Jones did. I mean, six months ago, this is a Glover that was up 3-1 and walking through Yuri Prohaska. I mean, it was a great fight, don't get me wrong. But scorecards-wise, Glover probably would have won that around 4-1. It wasn't going to be a close fight. Jamal had a ridiculously impressive performance, and we still have people here saying that he's fresh meat for this light heavyweight division. And he put on, I mean, a better performance than anyone thought he could. A a better performance than, I mean, I think he even expected he would. And I just don't know how we're still sitting here acting like Jamal Hill isn't a real champion. Also, what do you feel about a potential fight with Brian Ortega and Aljamain Sterling in the future? That's it. Thank you. Yeah, Ortega Sterling would be fun. I'd be intrigued to watch that. The Hill one's tricky because and it's not really his fault. It's actually the UFC's fault. They screwed the pooch here. And and I know it was presented, and we've talked about this before. I know it was presented in a way where it made Yuri Prohashka look like a martial arts legend. Presenting it as if Yuri Prohashka, on his own accord, called the UFC up and said, I'm injured, but I don't want this division to suffer because of my injury. So I'm just going to hand you back the belt. I don't think that's the case. I really don't. I think the UFC said, holy crap. UFC 282 is coming up. We need a main event. We have no title fights. So, Yuri, I'm going to have to 
take that title off of you, but we'll present it in the same way that you just gave it to us. Because it's still at this point, even in January, makes no sense that Yuri got the title taken away from him. Like, why? Why is Yuri vacating the belt? It makes zero sense. And what you've done is you've created a pretty tough situation for Jamal Hill. Because let's just say you just made that, let's just say you made the 282 main event for the vacant, or for the interim title. Yuri's hurt, we're going to do an interim title. No one would have complained about that, by the way. And then we don't have an interim champion, so we just did Jamal Hill versus Glover Teixeira for the interim title. Do you think we'd be having the same conversation right now? Because I don't. We'd be getting excited for Jamal Hill versus Yuri Prohashka for the undisputed title. That's what we'd be getting excited for. Instead, we took the belt from Yuri for no reason. No reason. He's saying he's going to be back in July or August. They were 50-50 re-signing Francis Ngannou, and they let him keep the title the entire time until he said no to them in January, a year later. But Yuri hurts his shoulder. Yuri says, I'm going to be back in six months. And we don't know if that's true or not. But if he says it, why take the title from him? But instead, now, Jamal is the champion. Even though Yuri is saying, I'm going to come back later this summer. It, it's just so dumb. Like, if you just didn't strip him of the belt, and Yuri is still the champ in waiting, and you had Jamal Hill fight Glover Teixeira for the interim title, Jamal's stock as a fighter is super high right now because of that performance. And there's no conversation about whether or not he's the real champion or not the real champion, or is he the best light heavyweight in the world? Is he not the best light heavyweight in the world? You put him in kind of a tough spot through no fault of his own. So I think the UFC screwed this up and the narrative is now painted that he's not the champ. He's the undisputed. Cha- he's not the undisputed champion. He's he's Daniel Cormier. While John Jones is stripped of the title, like it's just Jamal didn't deserve that. Like he didn't deserve to be in that spot. So, do I think people are sleeping on him? Yeah. I I'll come out and say it. We had our we had our rank, new rankings come out. I Jamal Hill is number four. I have Jamal Hill at number four. Because I still have questions. I'm not sleeping on the man. He's better than I thought. I thought he could beat Glover. I just didn't think he'd, he'd Garbrandt Glover the way that he did. It was incredible. It blew me away. Blew me away. Fantastic showing. But right now, if he fights Yuri Prohashka, I'm picking Yuri. Right now, if he fights Vadim Nemkov, I'm picking Vadim Nemkov. Right now, if he fights Magomed Ankoliath, I'm picking Magomed and Goliath. We just have questions. And as impressive as this win is, we're not going to know how good this win actually is until he fights again. Then we'll know. Then we'll have a better grasp on how this one ages. Was it because Glover had a foot out the door? And it seemed to me after 283 that Glover is walking away anyways. Even if he won the belt, I think he was going to retire. Seems like it. 
seemed like his decision was made. And it seemed like the, the reason they didn't stop the fight in the fifth round is because they knew everybody was aware he was walking away. So, yeah, Jamal got painted into a tough corner. I still have many questions. And I knew that Jamal would get to this point at some point. I just didn't think it would happen this quick, especially after the Tiago Santos fight. Yeah, he won, but it wasn't a great performance. And the Paul Craig fight, which wasn't that long ago. But man, did he evolve and make adjustments super quick. And respect. Respect to, uh, to his team and, and him as a fighter, because that was, that was incredible. Jonathan, hello. Hey, Mike. One second. Yep. Move to uh, empty office. Okay. So, hello. Uh, can you hear me? I got you. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about two things, really. Um, I was seeing a lot of discourse on, like, the whole, like, uh, Brazilian fans leaving the whole arena and and pretty much Glover speaking into a, you know, like an empty arena. Uh, I don't think people really realize that the arena is located in a terrible place. And on top of that, the transportation in Brazil – Stopped at 3 a.m. And and the main event was at like 4 or 5 a.m. So <clears throat> so that's pretty much why everyone pretty much left after Figgy lost. So just want to explain that because I don't think anybody pretty much knew that that was a thing that happened in a, a thing that happens in Brazil. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. It was just it was a weird thing to me that like people were saying like Brazilian fans are trash and terrible because they just leave. It was like, bro, like nobody can get home since all the public transportation stops at three. <laughs> right. No, I get I, I get where you're coming from, and I think I don't think they're calling the fans that are there trash because they left early. I think they were calling them trash because they were throwing trash at Brandon Moreno uh, who just beat Davis and Figueredo cleanly and soundly and all of that stuff. So there's no, yeah, there's no negativity. Like Moreno just beat, beat them and finished them, stopped them. I know the stoppage seemed a little weird to some people, but that cut was nasty and that fight wasn't going to get any better for Figgy. So they're just mad and they're taking on a Brandon Moreno. That's why people thought they were trash more than anything is because how they treated Brandon Moreno after a tremendous performance. And then, yeah, I, I heard a lot of the same things that traffic and transportation out of that arena was a nightmare. Uh, I didn't realize like how bad the, the area was that they're having the event in. Uh, but I did hear that worst case scenario traffic was just a nightmare getting out of there. And trust me, as somebody who lived in Boston most of my life and going to sporting events in Boston or outside, just outside of it, most of my life, I understand. I understand the mentality of, well, if we stay for these last five minutes, we're going to be sitting in traffic for five hours. Or if we leave now, we only sit in traffic for an hour. 
I don't want to miss the rest, but I don't want to get home at 6 a.m. So, yeah, I get that. But I think more of the, the negativity comes from people just acting like assholes and throwing beers and garbage at the nicest fighter maybe of all time. So, all right. Well, I appreciate all of you. I need to get out of here. Uh, very busy day. Lots of interviews coming up that I have to do. Um, other things going on as well. Some meetings with the peeps, all of that wonderful stuff. So uh, appreciate you. Man, my voice is toast. So I'm glad I'm getting tomorrow off to not have to talk at all. But thank you all very much. You're the best. Back here Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern, we'll do it again. And by the way, I'm not going to tell you what it is yet, but BTL is going to be superb on Thursday. Uh, it will be a competitive matchup. It will not be a one-on-one talking heads thing, although I've enjoyed doing it. Um, we're going to have a matchup, and it's going to be a delight, and I think you're all going to like it. So more on that on Thursday. But thank you all very much. Have a great rest of the day, and as always, have a heck of a morning. Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.